Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 10 of Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond and I'm Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert here at TRRI. Now, this is the last episode of Series 2, and we have covered an enormous range of topics, ranging from cryptos to culture to data governance and the evolving impact of financial crime. In this last episode of the current series, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Lindsay Rogerson and Mike Cowan to delve into the thorny issue of personal accountability in financial services. Hi, Susanna. Hi, Susanna. Thank you both for joining me. Now, In the wake of the financial crisis, there was a supranational policy focus on the need to drive better risk-aware behaviours by senior managers, with the sense that senior individuals could and indeed should be held to account for their actions or inactions. Now, while at least in theory, regulators around the world could probably already hold individuals personally liable, Numerous jurisdictions have chosen to revamp their approach, resulting in what really can only be described as a proliferation of accountability regimes around the world. And a common feature of many of those accountability regimes has been the introduction of responsibility maps, where firms are required to document in really quite a lot of detail who precisely is responsible for what. Now, that's certainly a feature of the UK senior managers and certification regime, which has now been in place for banks for five or so years and has now been rolled out to all financial services in the UK. So, Mike, taking the UK SMCR as the example, how is it seen to be working? Is it a driver for positive cultural change or is it just a way of assigning blame after the event? So I think firstly, it's... Um, It's important to give a bit of background and a bit of an overview here because I think it's important to highlight uh, the proliferation of regimes that you've uh, alluded to in your introduction there. So other countries like Ireland and Singapore and Hong Kong, you know, they've all, as you say, have revamped whatever whatever preceded their approach to personal accountability and senior management regimes. Uh, but I, I think what, what I'll do, uh, if it's OK with you, is I'll not only look at the UK one, but um, the Australia one. So it's the UK one and the Australia regimes that I'm going to focus on in my first little preamble here. So so firstly, in the UK, the senior managers uh, and certification regime uh, intended to support a change in culture at all levels in the banking and insurance industries. Um, At the time it was launched, actually, Tracy McDermott, the acting CEO of the FCA, said that we are determined to embed a culture of personal responsibility. And and, and that's important. So the SMCR was developed as part of the implementation of the recommendations of the Parliamentary Commission on Banking Standards following the banking crisis of 2008. And it received international acclaim. For example, the IMF called it a a major and welcome improvement in this area. But if we touch briefly on what the Parliamentary Commission reported, they came up with some quite interesting quotes. So the Parliamentary Commission said that too many bank, in in previous regimes, too many bankers, especially at the most senior levels, have operated in an environment with insufficient personal responsibility. 
Top bankers dodged accountability for failing on their watch by claiming ignorance or hiding behind collective decision making. And secondly, what they said about the UK was that the approved persons regime, the, the regime that, 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 that preceded the senior managers regime, has created a largely illusionary impression of regulatory control over individuals, while meaningful responsibilities were not in practice, uh, not in practice attributed to anyone. And so again, it's important to get the picture here. This is about cultural change. This is about responsibility. This is about people taking responsibility for their actions and a move away from previous regimes where it was felt that they were deficient. So the SMCR, you know, it heightened requirements in respect of individual and collective accountability. And these are key mechanisms for countering conduct risk and enhancing the safety and soundness of regulated financial institutions which is why the PRA and the FCA in the UK got together with the Treasury to come up with the SMCR regime. And as you said, it's been in place now for a number of years. So in March 2016, it was, in, it was introduced to banks and in December 2018, it was introduced to insurers. And in betwixt and after that, it had been introduced to other financial services firms. So very briefly, what does the SMCR in the UK um, comprise? Well, it, it's, um, it, it is a senior manager's regime. So the most senior decision makers or senior managers at a firm must be assessed as fit and proper, have clearly defined responsibilities and be subject to enhanced conduct requirements, including the duty to take re reasonable steps in fulfilling their, fulfilling their responsibilities. And part of that, as you say, is the requirement to have resp um, uh, documented responsibilities and detailed responsibilities maps for the whole organization. So, you know, a senior manager is an individual who holds a number of senior management functions. The regulators prescribe these. So um, these could include things like the chief executive, uh, head of finance, uh, uh, risk, compliance, operations, includes um, executives and non-executives, as the non-executives in firms will, will generally uh, chair the, the governance committees, the risk committee, the audit committee, the remuneration committee, all of which are senior management functions. Uh, secondly, um, the UK's regime puts in place a certification regime, and this is for key risk-taking employees below the top tier. So this is trying to mop up other individuals that aren't prescribed by the um, by the regulators or in roles that are prescribed by the regulators um, but they are still offering a material risk to that firm um, and they need to determine their appointment and then certify annually that they are fit and proper to undertake their roles um, thirdly uh, there are regulatory references as part of the hiring process um, Firms must exchange mandatory employment references containing information on prior conduct. And then finally, there is the conduct rules themselves, which is rules that all financial services staff are subject to, uh, requiring, among other things, that they act with integrity, due skill, care and due diligence, etc. So for me, in the UK, there are a couple of elements at play here. Firstly, the objectives of the SMCR, as prescribed by Parliamentary Commission and the regulators themselves. Um, uh, for example, you know, that they are to improve conduct and, and, and support financial soundness. Um, and then secondly, there's the mechanism with which they've been, um, they've been introduced, 
which is a very structured approach to overseeing senior managers' performance. So this begs the question, then, does the structure, does the structural approach that's been put down by in the UK achieve the objectives of the regime? Well, the PRA, in a report in December 2020, said that the SMCR had um, helped ensure that individual, senior individuals in regulated firms do take greater responsibility for their actions and has made it easier for both firms and the PRA to hold individuals to account. So in their review, as I say, in December 2020, the PRA generally gave a positive reflection of how the SMCR had been implemented so far. And it concluded that new fitness and propriety requirements um, are supporting higher professional standards, uh, that most senior managers observed that the SMCR had brought about positive changes to behaviours, and nearly all firms reported integrating to some extent the SMCR within in internal practices. The SMCR has been successful in implementing uh, across business models, like I say, banks, insurers, investment firms. It's been rolled out a a across the ambit uh, now. And at the same time, the initial nervousness that accompanied the introduction of the SMCR has reduced as practitioners have become familiar with it. So a very glowing um, uh, a report from the PRA, but I must caveat that these are comments that the PRA themselves state um, are at the start of the regime and perhaps not where they would wish it to be when fully developed. So that's the UK. Let me touch on Australia briefly um, because there's a lot of similarities here. So in Australia, the banking executive accountability regime is in place, the BEAR. It was introduced in 2018 and has also been reviewed by APRA, the Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority. Um, and it, in, it has many similarities to the UK SMCR in that it, it sets out account, accountable persons in regulated firms who have to be registered with APRA. Uh, there is a need for accountability statements and accountability maps, again, very similar to the UK SMCR. And in December 2020, again, APRA reviewed the implementation of BEAR. And they also concluded that all large firms had designed adequate frameworks to administer the bear. And, um, and that these actions have delivered a stronger understanding of the end-to-end -end accountability of obligations of accountable persons in firms. They have sharpened challenge by boards on executive accountable persons actions and facilitated more targeted engagement with APRA to, to achieve prudential outcomes. However, APRA did note that the overall maturity of the approach did differ from firm to firm and provided some quite detailed um, 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 feedback to those firms in how that differed. Now, it, it, as a footnote, as a final thing to say here before, before I let Li, Li, Lindsay and, and Susanna um, um, have, their, have comment, that by mid-2021, it is expected that, that the legislation will be introduced in Parliament to pass the financial accountability regime, which will absorb the bear and all of its requirements. Mike, thank you very much indeed. Yes, I mean, SMCR should have been a landmark change for firms, 
but and i think this is a reasonably fair but we haven't actually seen anyone held to account under it yet so lindsay given smcr has been in place what five odd years now for banks why haven't we seen more enforcement actions taken against individuals are they all behaving super well well, as as Mike just said, Susanna, the, the PRA certainly thinks that's the case, and and, and I'll come back to to my favourite uh, report that that Mike has, Mike has already talked about um, in a, in a minute. But I just want to quote something which is hot off the press, as it were, from uh, the FCA annual uh, annual report, which was published. Uh, a few hours ago. So in it, it says, we will take assertive enforcement action where we see serious misconduct. And as you've just alluded to, um, Susanna, we have yet to see a single enforcement case. I know, I know, I know you're going to say, but what about Jess Staley Bartley's? But actually, the as the PRA admit, the the particular part of the SMCR, which was used to hold, um, to, to sanction Jess Staley, was grandfathered in from the pre-existing fitness and um, proprietary regime. So I don't think that counts. Um, again, uh, you know, into in today's, there's accompanying the annual report today, there is a, an update on how the FCA is progressing the, uh, the fallout from, and its promises that it made after Dame Elizabeth Gloucester's um, review into London Capital and Finance. And in there, it's, it um, says, you know, that um, since in the year to March 2021, one in six firms which applied for authorization were refused or withdrew their application after engagement with our authorization division. Now, that actually mirrors something that's in the, the um, that uh, I've been told by lawyers um, that how the system works now and one of the reasons why you don't see hundreds of people being rejected as individuals um, is that the regulator gives a quiet nod as it were if if um, an individual is put forward for a senior management um, post that the regulator doesn't think is suitable so they're, they're they um, there, there is a there's a gateway and, and a, a keeping out as it were that the the regulators um, are using the system to 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 deliver and i was i was told um back in december actually after the report um the the pra self-evaluation that uh how this kind of works is the regulator will say mm, we think you need to think about this again and should the firm uh, and should you wish to proceed with this particular individual we might actually have a look at what that means to say about you as a firm and your judgment as a as a, as a firm so um you know so it does it is, you know, it has been effective in keeping people out, and clearly the FCA is is doing something similar um, post Gloucester in its authorizations. The just one other bit from uh, today's release. Um, it, it the FCA said that they are currently investigating uh, two hundred firms and individuals. We're not sure what the balance is. It doesn't break it out um, for um, unauthorized financial business. So again, that's. It's kind of a niche area. Obviously, it's very important to stop, um, you know, unauthorized business. But that doesn't that doesn't really speak to what they're doing with the people in the regime. All those thousands of individuals in the regime. Um, you know, we don't have any data on that yet. So um, it's 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 a frustrating one, and it must be 
you know, it must be frustrating for not just me that we have this regime. In fact, I know it's not just frustrating for me because uh, lawmakers regularly point to this. You know, we, we have this regime. Um, it, it was expected to remove people. But maybe, as Mike said, you know, having put in responsibility maps, maybe that has just sharpened up people's focus so much that, you know, everyone is behaving. And on the one hand and on the other hand, the regulators are keeping people from coming in using the regime. So maybe that's an overly optimistic thing. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. We've seen a lot of extra uh warnings about smcr and during the during covid i mean i i know i've talked about this before but you know the the regulators have said we want an smcf for lending to smes we want you know you have we want assessations from C ceos about their um practices with um in overly indebted customers you know we, we've we, you know we've seen a, a range of things so whether that will come out in the wash as more investigations, you know, in next year's annual report. I, I, I don't know. It's too early. It's, I guess it's too early to say, though I'm always saying that about the SMCR. I've been saying that for five years. It's too early to say. And so that kind of brings me to, to my, some, my point. And I think this is also something you want to talk about, Susanna, is that do you actually need a personal accountability regime to achieve kicking people out of the industry for serious malfeasance. And I would suggest a recent case from the Irish regulator suggests that, in fact, you don't. Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I mean, there is a big school of thought that if under the previous accountability regimes, the regulators had actually chosen to muscularly exercise their powers, they could have actually achieved these results. A lot of what SMCR and equivalent regimes has done is just made it easier, theoretically, for regulators to hold people to account. Because we've got ourselves into the situation where firms, when they were found to have done something wrong, just put up their hand, said, yep, sure, cost of doing business, fixed it, paid the fine. Individuals fought tooth and nail. Because after all, it's their livelihood. They're unlikely to ever work again in financial services if they're found to have done something particularly wrong and have found to have done something particularly wrong very publicly. So regulators, for I suspect a variety of reasons, were a bit, or at least appeared, a bit reluctant to take on individuals. Which makes the Irish regulatory case a particularly interesting one because the Central Bank of Ireland, the regulator for financial services there, is to follow the SMCR example. They have publicly said they see SMCR as working well. Um, and they are really quite a long way down the track of preparing for the new regime without having actually quite yet issued public consultations on it. But last month, June, the CBI fined a chap called Gary McCullum 200,000 euros and disqualified him from being a person who could ever work in financial services for 15 years. And he was reprimanded, basically because of his actions and inactions with regard to commercial lending and credit risk by the Irish Nation Nationwide Building Society. Now these misdemeanors and breaches date back to 2004 to 2008. And the Irish National Building Society, a nationwide building society fell over as part of the financial crisis. 
huge cost to Irish taxpayers and all of the rest of it. Um, but the CBI has successfully gone after McCollum because of what he both did and did not do with regard to commercial lending and credit risk and the resulting poor risk management, ineffective governance, high risk lending. And the CBI has, has put out sort of particular aggregating factors about McCollum's own personal conduct. So exactly what regimes like SMCR are designed to catch in the way of you have now been in breach. And the CBI stated that McCollum, by virtue of his roles and responsibilities, knew or ought to have known about the contraventions. And further, he was responsible for implementing recommendations from audit findings relating to commercial lending originating under his remit. And despite all of that, he failed to report what was going on with regard to the contraventions to the CBI. So clear responsibility already there, pre-SMCR or any other equivalent regime, and the regulator has held an individual, a senior individual to account. Now, those of you who follow Irish regulatory updates, there has been an absolute stack of speeches coming out of the Irish regulator talking about the importance of fitness, probity, ensuring responsibility, the whole nine yards. And they are also highlighting a particular concern about investment in compliance which makes this next statement, which is from Derville Rowland, who's the very impressive Director General of Financial Conduct to the CBI, particularly pertinent. She said, individuals need to know what they are responsible for, to be clear what standards are expected of them, and to recognise that if their actions fall short, they will be held accountable. So, one of the reasons we're very interested in the Irish regime at the moment is that a large number of firms from the UK have now got Irish operations as a means of mitigating Brexit. So they have access to the single market through their Irish operations. So if those firms thought they were going to a lighter touch regime with regard to personal accountability, I would suggest they think again really rather quickly. Um, the Irish regulator has shown itself not only to be willing to hold people accountable, but to go and actually do it. And that's before they get these additional powers under the new uh, regime they're talking about. They knew if it's going to be called the individual accountability framework. And those plans are progressing and we will keep all of you updated when we get that far. Now we've done a pretty comprehensive round robin on personal accountability regimes and the ramifications of them. Takeaways and any other comments for compliance officers? Mike, thoughts? Where do we go with all of this now? So I think I have a final thoughts in three areas, and that's for the firms, for compliance functions and for the regulators. Um, and I think for firms, um, there is a need for the present um, regime the present structures to evolve it, it it may be because of the early nervousness uh, of the smcr in the uk and, and probably other regimes uh, that regulators have taken a more softly softly approach in the early days but i very much don't see this as being the end of smcr or this is it we're washing our hands of it get on with it i think um i think that firms need to to learn how to use those regimes to to coin a phrase 
um, and they can be used to their advantage. I mean, the, the, the structures that, they, that, that are now um, imposed upon them um, can be quite helpful for boards to apportion um, 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 relevant responsibilities and oversee those responsibilities and put in place some discipline around um, these sort of things that maybe previously uh, it didn't need to do. And I think that maybe that's the difference between today's regime and previous regimes is in that this is far more intrusive, far more uh, detail and to a degree that, that boards within firms can use this, but they now need to use it not as a threat, but just to, to their advantage. Now, that brings me on to, um, uh, to a point, I suppose, that I was going to make around the regulators. So let me, let me, let me, uh, let me uh, make the point about the regulators and then I'll link the two. So it seems that the structures have been successfully put in place. So there's been a lot of cost to firms. There's been a lot of heartache. There's been a lot of change in procedure, um, uh, both from compliance and HR and operational areas. And so if we look at it that, you know, from a regulator's perspective, that phase one has been accomplished, then probably it has. The structure has been put in place. But regulators, and I suppose firms, need always to consider whether those structures uh, uh, that have been put in place are leading to the correct conduct and behaviours. Are they actually leading to the correct behaviours that were so um, um, acutely identified by the Parliamentary Commission and, well, before that, by the actions within the um, financial crisis. You know, the structures go some way to mitigating sort of bad, bad conduct, but individual behaviour, as we all know, is, is difficult to legislate for. And, and this is the point, and this is the link between regulators and, and the firm's point that I want to make, because as tight a structure as the regulators can put in, then you know senior managers within firms may may try and look to game that system may look to use that to their advantage and and as a result of that becomes bad behaviors so i suppose uh, my point for regulators is that i make the plea that over the fullness of time that structures actually um, evidence the outcomes that they want i suppose in a way it's using their own outcome focused um, uh, methodology back on them. So from an SMCR perspective, is the structures, is all of this extra work that firms are doing, and I'm sure they're doing, does it actually result in the correct behaviours that they want to see from senior managers? Now, my final point on takeaways is about the compliance functions. And the accountability regimes for compliance, for traditional compliance functions, pose a, a bit of a problem. I mean, traditionally, HR legislation has not really been in the remit of a, of a financial services regulatory compliance function. Um, but as well as the, these, you know, historic reasons for that, there, there are good confidentiality reasons for that. You know, the, the, the HR deal with staff, staffing issues, uh, grievances, bad conduct, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all of which have their own confidentiality arrangements and, 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 and what, what have you. But with the accountability regimes, we find that compliance needs to get closer to HR and closer to HR than it's, than, than it's done in the past. So whether it's overseeing the introduction of the new rules that HR have got to apply, whether it's reviewing whether performance mechanisms under the new regime work, whether it's filing regulatory returns for, for SMFs or 
uh, investigating conduct breaches. You know, compliance and HR functions need to develop their relationships. Um, you know, to ensure that that you know you know that, that the firm's approach to um, senior management accountability to personal accountability is well controlled and that nothing slips between the cracks. Very wise words, Mike. Thank you very much. Lindsay, from your perspective, takeaways from compliance officers or for compliance officers? Um, so just to add a little bit um, to, to what Mike has said, um, I, I agree that um, the role of compliance in all of this is it has has changed and it needs to evolve a bit more. If you if you remember, we've talked about it before. The one of the things that the PRA did pick up on in that December document was um, that it didn't think it was getting enough notifications when firms people had been firms had been internally disciplining people, um, and you know the the numbers were really really very low um to be sort of trivial in um uh, and not statistically significant so having said that um you know and putting that message out there it'll be interesting to see well the regulator is clearly expecting more uh, notifications from firms and so obviously there's a role for compliance there in ensuring that that, that you know that 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 they are making not that they're making um, unnecessary notifications or they're making, um, you know, notifications when they're not needed, but just uh, that they are actually making them. Um, I, I just want to highlight two more things, actually. The FTA annual report acknowledges that it actually had to deprioritize um, its proactive review of the implementation of the certification regime Easy last you, year because of code. <laughs> I know it, it's, it's really not. Um, and so um, that will obviously get back on the agenda. And so there will be probably be more learning from, from firms um, and feedback from the regulators there. Um, I have been told by several um, individuals that carry out and firms that carry out section 166 reviews that whenever they are now instructed to carry out uh, 166 reviews, there is now always an individual element to that. So they are checking, they are getting, asking for and receiving the um, those accountability maps, um, those responsibility maps. And that's why I think in, in certainly when the FCA says it has more people, individuals under investigation, that's why. So those individuals have their maps and they've, they've done everything they should have done, they're not going to end up enforcement in enforcement, but they are automatically now looked at as part of any uh, investigation. Um, that, that that's fair to say. One final thing um, is uh, the whole uh, temporary permissions regime. Um, it's it's apparently the senior management uh, regime has come as a bit of a shock to some. <laughs> Uh, individuals sitting in foreign institutions who now are finding themselves for the first time with um, a senior management uh, responsibility uh, quite taken aback. And so that's um, an area where I think um, it, we, you know, it will be interesting to track that one as we as we move forward. So that's me. Yeah, there's a whole cultural thing about wouldn't it be nice if you knew actually what rules and regulations you're subject to, but that that's the, a discussion for another podcast. Um, I would add into that mix the need for firms and individuals to evidence, document, evidence and document some more. 
make sure everything is up to date, make sure actually what's written down reflects reality and current practice. And if you are a senior individual or even just subject to the certification regime, maintain your own personal suite of evidence that you've done the right things in the right ways and everything is up to date and you can prove should you get the 166 should you get anything else that comes your way you have done the right things in the right ways and maintain that there are question marks obviously should you change firm and that may well have proprietary information or confidential information in it make that part of your exit arrangements that you still have access to that should you change jobs or roles or whatever um, but take amongst all of these responsibility maps take responsibility for the evidencing of your compliance i think that is a very solid piece of advice for anybody subject to a regulatory regime and on that thank you very much for listening to this episode of compliance clarified and indeed thank you for listening to series two We'll pop some links and so on into the episode notes like normal, together with a link for further information on Thomson Reuters regulatory intelligence itself. Now, one other thing which I did mention in last week's podcast is the FinTech, RegTech and Role of Compliance survey is now open for 2022. If you would like to complete it, we would be delighted to have your information kept confidential, of course, but analysed out and the report will be available by the end of the year. Last but not least, as ever, we very much appreciate it if you could take the time to review the podcast and do let us know any suggestions for future topics. Thank you again for listening. Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.